Thank you everyone for joining us today. My name is Andrea Armeni. I am the Executive Director of Transform Finance and the convener of the Transform Finance Investor Network. On today's webinar, we'll be covering the issue of muni bonds and social justice from the perspective of what investors can do and what are some of the options at their, um, at their disposal. Uh, I'll do a very brief uh, introduction because I don't want to take away any time from the main presentations that we'll have today from Paul Herman from Hip Investor and Mary Taft McPhee and Rodrigo Davis from uh, Neighborly. So for those that joined us uh, in the previous webinar, you might remember this is uh, part two. Uh, during part one, we started looking at the intersection of uh, racial justice and uh, municipal finance with uh, activists, during which we explored some of the um, issues that, uh, that come up in the way in which communities and municipalities in that specific case uh, finance themselves, the way that, that their revenue comes in, uh, in particular looking at the issue of uh, revenue derived from, uh, from fines, incarceration, and the like, and then diving into what the um, uh, municipal finance might look and what some of the opportunities are to drive better outcomes uh, in terms of the standards for municipalities. Um, as a very brief reminder on the landscape for municipal bond finance, um, from the impact investor perspective, while everybody has an allocation to, uh, to fixed income and specifically by and large to muni bonds, only about 6% of total assets under management of impact investors are in public debt. Um, and to the extent that there is, as Paul will go into later, um, those have largely gone towards uh, green bonds to the extent that there has been an attempt to, um, to align the, the fixed income piece of a portfolio with, uh, with, an, impact, uh, uh, with an impact strategy. Um, but it's also clear that there is quite um, a, a well-defined thesis for how municipal finance should play into a, an impact portfolio, uh, the role that it can play, and the need for communities to be capitalized, um, especially if we're looking at this from a perspective of uh, social justice and, of course, of uh, racial justice. So we're trying here with these two parts of the webinar to really see what, uh, what is there that um, investors can do concretely to move more actively on the impact side of their, uh, of their fixed income. Um, one thing that we want to look into is, in, uh, in Paul's parlance, looking a little bit beyond just the metrics for some of these bonds and how we can increase the accountability that there is on the part of municipalities with, uh, uh, with their bond issuances. So what role, again, can investors in their choices uh, of what, uh, what bonds to purchase, what can they do in order to ensure that the municipalities are accountable to um, uh, to the investors that pick them with a, with a specific impact thesis in, uh, in mind. Um, we'll also look with, uh, with Mary from Neighborly at the intersection of uh, municipal finance and impact investing with the, um, with the Community Reinvestment Act. Again, that's something that we have covered in part previously. 
under the rubric of uh, investing for quality jobs versus uh, just a simpler thesis of job creation in low to moderate income zip codes. And for the investor network members, I will um, I would encourage you to, to go back to, to that part after uh, Mary's presentation to see how our work uh, continues to intersect with the Community Reinvestment Act. And lastly, for the members on the call, I wanted to remind you that this work that we're doing around municipal finance is part of a broader project around uh, racial justice and how issues of race come up in a, in a portfolio across all asset classes. Uh, we're looking at, uh, at the public equity piece that is perhaps more often looked at, at least in terms of the um, uh, representation of people of color on boards and in uh, top management, but also looking at how racial justice might show up in those public equities, say in terms of uh, decapitalization of communities that comes from tax avoidance strategies by public companies or excessive share buybacks. Um, we're looking at the venture capital, real assets, of course, uh, private equity playing a very big role here. And uh, as, um, as part of the role that you can play in this, we would love to hear from you around what, what would be helpful for an investor that is aligned with racial justice values to know as you are constructing your portfolio. And what are some concrete steps that could be taken? What are the opportunities that show up there? So again, let's keep this uh, broader context in mind as we, um, as we think today through the, the intersection of, uh, of social justice and uh, municipal bond finance. And uh, one way in which we can look at this, again, uh, Paul will be talking to us about the work that HIP Investor has been doing around data and uh, the ratings of, uh, of muni bonds. And Neighborly uh, will be um, digging a little bit deeper into the platform that they have, uh, that they have created that uh, includes this democratizing element for, for people in community to be able to, um, uh, to finance uh, the, the projects and the communities that they are particularly um, interested in. So with that, I will turn it over to Paul, um, uh, Paul Herman, who is the CEO of HIP Investor. And uh, Paul, I am delighted that you were able to join us today. Uh, thank you, Andrea, and uh, uh, delighted to be here and join with uh, Transform Finance and Neighborly and uh, welcome everybody. And uh, as you can see, I like blue shirts, uh, wearing one today as well as in the photo. Uh, my background includes working at McKinsey, hence my blue shirt, uh, as well as at Ashoka, uh, supporting social entrepreneurs, um, at Omidyar Network, uh, in investing as well as donating, and for the past uh, 10 plus years now at HIP Investor. Uh, also on the line are teammates from uh, HIP who you may know, Danielle Salah, who leads their mini ratings, uh, David Sugar, uh, one of our impact analysts, uh, Fabian Wilskett, who uh, um, uh, heads our corporate ratings, uh, and other teammates. So we're really uh, delighted to have this opportunity to dig deeper into how to do impact investing in uni bonds. Um, so. so welcome. And in talking about uh, social and environmental justice, uh, there's a high opportunity to create more inclusion uh, and accountability around that inclusion, as well as to create human, social, and environmental ju justice uh, through your investing in mini bonds. 
Uh, just a quick overview on HIP. Uh, we're going into our 11th year. We started in 2006. Some of you may have uh, seen us in Fast Company Magazine and in our initial HIP scorecard. Um, today we have more than 32,000 uh, impact ratings. They cover 6,000 corporates and 26,000 plus munis. So we'll show you some scatter plots of all of those muni issuers in uh, different sectors that are facilitating uh, social, uh, racial, and ethno uh, environmental justice. Uh, our clients are uh, endowments and foundations as well as families, uh, fund managers, hedge funds, and advisors. Uh, and the HIP Investor book, uh, which we wrote back in 2010 and published by Wiley, uh, is in 26 universities, MBA, and MPA programs. Uh, and uh, we've been part of the Newsweek Green Rankings and rating the environmental uh, impacts uh, of the top 1,000 companies. Uh, we've been fortunate to be covered uh, in the media. Uh, and then just a quick disclaimer, so all the compliance and lawyer, lawyers are happy. And always remember, past results are not indicative of future performance, um, so always look forward. So the value and benefit of any impact rating uh, are these three. Um, and as you present to your boards or talk to your executive team uh, or to your family uh, group, uh, these are the three things that impact uh, can deliver and impact ratings can inform. You get to analyze more risks, uh, risks over the long term. In Unibond specifically, the credit ratings from S&P, Moody's, and Fitch frequently look only at the next two to three years of cash flow, not at the total risks of the full life cycle of the bond. Two, better understanding the drivers of cash flow. Uh, it's uh, uh, while not all munis even uh, provide a minimum level of financial analysis, for example, in the state of Kentucky, they don't even provide annual financial statements if you invest in state bonds necessarily. Cash flow is driven by how you serve citizens, customers, and beneficiaries. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the presentation. Uh, and it, what it does do is uh, help to smooth out volatility by looking at some of these risks. And then uh, importantly, three uh, of the ABC is you can customize the portfolio to your own impact goals. Uh, and these can include, obviously, social, environmental, and human impact. Uh, so as Andrea introduced, uh, muni bonds are a large component of portfolios. And an increasing part of uh, muni bonds are um, impact-oriented. Um, the growth is mainly driven on the equity side to date, both public equity and private equity. Uh, but uh, you'll hear from neighborhoods the uh, increasing growth on the uh, muni bond side. And as a whole of uh, professional assets managed, uh, impact investing, ESG investing, socially responsible investing is more than one in five dollars. And the growth of green bonds recently uh, has doubled uh, from, uh, from 2015 to 2016 to $80 billion. And uh, what that means is uh, it's almost 2% of the overall muni bond market. Um, so there's still room for growth, certainly environmentally. And uh, we're going to talk about some opportunities in social justice. Uh, and what, as we describe this, what we're trying to do is to set a high bar for social justice uh, that we would think of on a 0 to 100 scale, being closer to 100. And on a 0 to 100 scale, as you look at everything from uh, how urban hospitals serve uh, low-income patients to um, <clears throat> low-income kids and uh, school um, uh, uh, kids on uh, free school lunches in K to 12, 
uh, as well as the availability of renewable power and clean power. Those all have a net positive impact. Uh, and when what we have found over the 10 plus years at HIF is that generally correlates with uh, lower future risk, so a more resilient portfolio and stronger potential return. So what we're going to dig into is how to innovate by people with nature in uh, across five different categories, health, wealth, earth, equality, and trust, which are based on Maslow's hierarchy of needs and hopefully line up with uh, one or more of the missions and themes that you're pursuing in your own portfolio. And what we found on the corporate side, both uh, on the corporate equity and the support that on the corporate bond side, uh, and what's emerging on the muni bond side, is that higher impact ratings connect with higher cash flow, uh, and both higher cash flow and lower volatility of cash flow. And lower ratings and certainly lower transparency about how you operate and deliver impact could uh, hamper cash flow or even uh, link with negative cash flow. So in the muni markets, there have been some defaults in the cities and counties in the U.S., and we took a time machine and went back in time to say, well, what would their impact rating have been at that point in time when they, uh, uh, in the early 2000s or mid-2000s? Uh, and could this have been an early indicator of some of the risks? And so in Jefferson County, Alabama, and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and San Bernardino, California, and Stockton, California, these cities ended up not delivering great services to their citizens. Uh, they were not able to provide great health services. They were not able to generate income opportunities uh, for their uh, citizens. They, uh, it was difficult um, uh, to uh, sort of support equality and uh, ethnic justice. And, uh, and so it turned out uh, that a uh, impact rating also correlated to the weakness in their uh, fundamental cash flow and credit. So what we uh, can look at nationally then is if you look at, uh, from an impact perspective, these elements of health and wealth and earth and equality and trust is, uh, some people said, this sometimes lines up with the electoral map where states in the south and southeast um, don't have the best um, uh, profiles in terms of a healthier, wealthier, uh, environmental uh, conscious and uh, equal society. And nationally around the world, <clears throat> you can see that also in Africa, this is similar to the UN Human Development Index, but enhanced with additional impact metrics um, that uh, there's opportunities in Asia and Africa uh, for enhancements as well as worldwide. So uh, to dig deep, uh, what we wanted to do was profile um, some core problems and uh, highlights of where muni bond investing might advance this. And what you'll hear from Neighborly are some tangible ways to uh, uh, invest in your own community and do that on the Neighborly platform. So what we affectionately call now the hip lollipops here, the impact lollipops of health, wealth, earth, equality, and trust, we're going to go through examples in these first four. So the first segment is hospitals, <clears throat> and uh, when you analyze a hospital, two key things are, one, what are the outcomes of the people who come to that hospital, and what are the patient satisfaction metrics? And through Medicare and Medicaid and other publicly available data, what we've done is to aggregate um, several thousand hospitals, 4,000 hospitals nationwide, and evaluate these metrics, and we're continually adding metrics to this, but you can see that we're evaluating 11 uh, metrics on each of the 4,000 hospitals nationwide. 
<clears throat> and that these generally correlate with good patient satisfaction and, uh, and good health outcomes. Those are weighted most highly. So each of these dots is a hospital nationwide. So uh, we could, uh, in an interactive way, we have an interactive tool where you could look up your own hospital. But for any particular hospital performance, there's still a wide dispersion, both of patient satisfaction and overall impact. So there's no perfect institution, the mix of good and bad. And this is what you'll find in any impact, in any um, solid impact rating, <clears throat> is there'll always be opportunities for improvement. Um, uh, but the question is, how do you deliver on your mission? So what we like to do is to compare uh, through a face-off, uh, compare how hospitals or any impact investment uh, uh, rate against each other and deliver against each other. <clears throat> and so these are two hospitals, Bellevue Hospital Center in New York, which is part of the New York City healthcare system, uh, also uh, serves quite a few mental health patients. Uh, certainly serves a, a fair number of low-income uh, uh, patients. They have uh, very low patient satisfaction scores, only about one in four. Uh, the health outcomes uh, from the potential health outcomes is also a low score, one in four, uh, including things like do you get readmitted after you've been treated, as well as are you treated well on the first, are you, uh, is your health uh, fixed on the first time? <clears throat> and then uh, this is sort of an extreme example, but the number of health and safety violations in the Bellevue Hospital Center over a five-year period is actually 14. And that is literally almost off the charts. Uh, most hospitals that aren't doing that well max out at about three or four. Most hospitals at zero or one, as you can see on the Jewish hospital on the right-hand side, which ironically is part of the Catholic healthcare system. Uh, and so those have health outcomes of three out of four and uh, higher patient satisfaction, not perfect patient satisfaction, still below 50%. So as we wrap this together, um, we say, well, what's happening in um, across the country, and uh, do those have adverse incomes uh, in urban areas? And so what was surprising to us when we did this bottom-up analysis of 4,000 hospitals and uh, then looked at the state averages was New York State and California State and Florida State, as well as Nevada and New Mexico and West Virginia, <clears throat> which have a high proportion of hospitals serving low income actually uh, have some lagging performance. So this could be an impact investing opportunity to target the hospitals or healthcare systems that aren't yet uh, serving the urban population in a compelling way. And that would be a great way to mobilize dollars among uh, foundations and with missions of healthcare uh, or impact investments that have healthcare as an allocation uh, to dig in deeper. Uh, Specifically in the, in, in the Kaiser system in California, um, you see a lot of high ratings among many Kaiser hospitals, except in Oakland. So we've looked at this both from a national level as well as uh, from a local level, and uh, happy to dig in deeper at a, at a later time. So we covered health, the second segment is wealth. So when uh, we'll, we'll look at women entrepreneurs and ethnic entrepreneurs in cities in a few moments. And there's 19,000 cities across the U.S. There's also 3,000 counties and 50 states plus uh, uh, D.C. and Puerto Rico. <clears throat> uh, and when we look at a city, you can see the balance of these pillars of health, wealth, earth, equality are equal weighted. <clears throat> to run a city is a very complicated, integrated thing. And to serve citizens uh, takes a lot of uh, uh, discipline, empowerment, and uh, capability. So some of the metrics that we look at are citizens with health insurance, the affordability of housing, 
We also have a rating system for state housing agencies uh, for the 49 states that have affordable housing uh, agencies. Kansas actually does it through the state, <clears throat> as well as things like women-owned businesses. So from a um, gender equality and a social justice perspective, when you plot uh, some of the cities uh, according to their incomes, on the x-axis is the average in household income uh, across in cities across the U.S. The size of the circles, I know these are a little small, but the size of the circles are the population. And what you can see is a general relationship that when cities' uh, household income is lower, <clears throat> the proportion of women-owned businesses and women entrepreneurs is higher. And you can see that far left uh, Detroit actually is more than 60% of entrepreneurs in Detroit are women, as well as dots in the top left for uh, Memphis and Baltimore. So to make this a little bit more stark, um, we've all uh, heard of, or many of us have seen The Wire. Uh, and what happens in Baltimore is the suburbs around Baltimore uh, actually are more well-off than the actual city of Baltimore. And a group of foundations have uh, focused on um, starting to hone in on how to solve these problems, but it's possible to uh, work with the city of Baltimore in their muni bond investing to help uh, set some accountability metrics on how you're going to address uh, some of the crime that exists in Baltimore and the health aspects and the like. And you'll hear from Neighborly later on on, on some of these focuses. Uh, interestingly, District of Columbia has a much higher performance, uh, even though it has some areas of District of Columbia that might rate lower. <clears throat> so in social and racial justice, uh, this, is, there's this ex relationship exists as well, where cities with lower income have higher proportions of businesses and entrepreneurs that are ethnic or minority owned. So up in the top left, again, you can see Detroit, but also a lot of cities in Texas, Laredo, Mission, uh, El Paso. You also see East Palo Alto, which is adjacent to Palo Alto, homes of Facebook and Hewlett Packard and Stanford University. And so there's dramatic improvement opportunity, <clears throat> which can be linked to muni bonds. So we covered health and wealth. <clears throat> the third uh, sector is uh, earth and environment. And uh, our uh, team here has done a deep dive, uh, Dave Sugar, uh, going to the Presidio Graduate School, where we find a lot of great uh, talent, uh, created this from the bottom up. So this is uh, several thousand power plants across the U.S. It actually turns out to be 4,000 power plants across the U.S. that are part of 2,000 utilities. <clears throat> now, many of us know our local utility, which are generally investor-owned utilities. There's about 150 of those nationwide. So that means there's more than almost uh, 1,800 or more uh, nonprofit or government energy utilities uh, nationwide. And we look at everything not only at power mix and low carbon power mix, but uh, coal ash spills, because many of these are still running on coal power, and time-based pricing, power reliability. So <clears throat> if you have an environmental focus as part of your investing or foundation or family, um, this chart might be interesting to you. Now, we all know about coal country <clears throat> in Kentucky and West Virginia and Ohio and Indiana. And some of those voters got uh, quite active in the last election, <clears throat> and they feel left behind. However, in the power mix of Detroit Energy or um, the utilities uh, in that Midwest, they're generating a tremendous amount of carbon-intensive power, not only coal, but high-sulfur coal, 3.5% uh, gets burned in some. And companies like Duke Power still, uh, while they talk about clean coal, uh, produce this. 
whereas in uh, New England and uh, New York uh, and Maine, and then over in Washington and Idaho, which has a lot of hydropower, as well as Oregon and California, you can see that there's a bigger push. And then a bright spot also here in South Dakota versus North Dakota. Uh, North Dakota is the land of uh, some of the tar sands and natural gas fracking. South Dakota uh, has been uh, adding more wind. Um, and you can see that down in Texas, too, where there's a blend. So uh, uh, Kibun Pickens has actually uh, been putting in large uh, wind farms there. So what this means for muni bond investing is, uh, and Neighborly have a large segment of this on their platform, is you can go and fund uh, uh, carbon efficient or even fossil free. And when you look at that as a blend of all the different issues, not just carbon power, but uh, uh, incentive pricing for utilities, uh, you can see some of the states leading, again, Vermont, New England, uh, Idaho, Washington, California, Arizona, being more progressive. And then some, even Oregon, uh, lagging on sort of a broader set of environmental metrics. And what's really exciting now is uh, many of us have probably heard about social impact bonds or pay for performance uh, uh, contracts. There's now the first environmental impact bond, or EIB. So a sexy acronym, but the environmental impact bond from DC Water uh, is uh, helped facilitated by Goldman Sachs and also by Calvert, um, uh, the Calvert Foundation and Calvert Mutual Fund. And what they've come up with, which is uh, pretty interesting, is to put some teeth, as we like to call it, on an environmental impact bond. And so every uh, environmental-related bond, you've, we, we talked about earlier, green bonds having uh, $80 billion. They're rated green because they need some green bond principles. They have an environmental outcome, uh, but they don't necessarily have an environmental target or metric. And none of them, until this one from DC Water, actually have any accountability to that metric. So if we all unify together with our investor power, to uh, force and, and reward or penalize uh, uh, issuers for not only uh, putting down a stake in the ground on women entrepreneur uh, income improvement, service and patient satisfaction and health outcomes to hospitals and low income, and in this case for DC Water, runoff reduction. <clears throat> this was modeled essentially where the 95% confidence level of reducing wastewater overflows from the wastewater treatment plants should go down by about 30%. That means when it rains hard, like it is in some places around the country today, that uh, the wastewater backs up and it overflows and it pollutes the water systems. So in this case, if DC water delivers between 18 and 41% reductions, then everybody gets what they expect. But if DC fall short of doing that, if they put in this infrastructure and they don't deliver that, uh, in this case, the investors are taking the risk and the investors actually have to um, uh, kick in some extra money. Uh, whereas if uh, DC Water exceeds the runoff reduction, they'll actually pay investors um, uh, for the extra savings that DC Water's encountered. Now, this is sort of a uniquely structured incentive. This isn't something that we design in this way. Usually, you'd want to have uh, more upside to align incentives uh, for the issuer and the investor to make more money for higher results. So um, that's something for further discussion uh, later. All right, finally, the fourth sector is around equality. And 
how you can organize your money um, to support uh, education outcomes and growing our next generation. And what we've analyzed across uh, 13,000 school districts nationally uh, from uh, publicly available information that's in a whole bunch of different hiding places. So it's not easy to do this. It's not easy to aggregate it. It's not easy to quality check it. Uh, there's some strange things that happen sometime in collecting data, which can be messy. It always sounds organized, but it's, there's a process to it. Is uh, looking at faculty to student ratios in classrooms and math and reading scores. Uh, looking at the district revenue for students, uh, as well as free in school and reduced lunches. And, uh, and one last thing, because we don't have a chart on this yet, but you see that last one about board and student diversity. And we've done this um, for investors in looking at specific K-12 school districts of where there are opportunities for the governance of the school district to match the diversity of the student body. And in places like Texas, you end up having sort of white or Caucasian school boards or mainly Hispanic um, school districts that uh, are not as well performing as some others. But there are a couple interesting exceptions, and one of those is in South Carolina, where there actually is a Caucasian, primarily Caucasian school board. Uh, it is uh, more gender diverse. Uh, with uh, African-American and uh, diverse uh, student body, and it's actually one of uh, the most well-performing. So it's not, a, uh, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing when this doesn't match, but in general, we want the governance to match um, the uh, student body, the citizens, the beneficiaries. So at HIP, we love charts like this because we're quantitatively oriented and analytically rigorous. So this is all 13,000 school districts that have available data in the U.S. And usually when you think of school districts, you think of, I'm funding positive uh, education for kids, especially low-income kids. And what you see is a very wide dispersion. <clears throat> so the x-axis is the district revenue to the school. So some districts are well off, some districts have lower revenue. And on the y-axis is this overall student performance. <clears throat> and a district rating. And so you can see a couple quadrants. And so the question for you on the line is, uh, what quadrant is the most investable? What might have the best impact? What can get you the best impact for a dollar of your money? <clears throat> and so on the next slide is we hone in on this top left of the quadrant. And so there's thousands of school districts that have low district revenue per student, but have high uh, district performance student performance, education outcomes. So this could be a great target for your impact investing is help low revenue school districts uh, deliver even better outcomes. But you might also say, can't we also help low performing outcomes do better? And we could, uh, we, you know, this could be the case where if you add more capital, you could get higher results. But uh, we'd want to add some form of accountability metric to that and discipline to that and hence do something like an environmental impact bond or social impact bond. So as you consider voting with your money, wrapping up uh, our introduction here, as you consider voting with your money, muni bonds are one of the highest impact ways that you can deploy your money. And there, to date, haven't been a lot of investment strategies that do this. There are some from community capital management and uh, mutual fund cranks. Uh, there are some from Calvert in their uh, green bond fund. There are SMA strategies that exist from uh, Breckenridge and others in uh, development. Um, and what uh, you'll find is 
that those impacts are much stronger than you might have in later stage private equity or your mutual funds and certainly in your hedge funds. <clears throat> and that early stage venture capital um, can rate highly, similar to muni bonds. But as you grow, you can see as you scale up an institution, <clears throat> it has been difficult so far to scale institutions that don't become more extractive that as you move from venture capital to private equity to public corporations, those are more extractive of people, of natural resources, and of trust. But in muni bonds, you actually can scale this. If you actually do have your on mission, uh, you can scale up impact uh, at the same time. So as opportunities for action and a transition to uh, neighborly and talking about how that might work in your own portfolio, uh, we recommend these three things. One, if you're not already doing this, and most of us on the call may already be doing this, to update your investment policy statement and IPS for impact goals and metrics. Uh, and to put in specific metrics that you might be targeting um, around social justice, uh, ethnic and racial diversity, and uh, environmental benefits. Two is to add impact-focused munis, either munis themselves or uh, separate account strategies or funds to your diversified portfolios. And they can address a range of themes here, including migrating to the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, and then third is to support muni bonds with teeth and to, and to evaluate those and consider buying those. Because the more we can drive the market, like we have been with green bonds, with impact bonds, with ratings attached to accountability, uh, we can actually make uh, do more good as well as uh, make more money. So uh, we're going to turn it over, and uh, thanks for your attention. Happy to answer questions as we get to them later, but excited that Mary and Rodrigo are here from uh, Everly. Back to you, Andrea. Thank you so much, Paul. That was uh, fantastic. Really, really helpful. Uh, very clear um, showing of, uh, of this. Two quick questions, uh, one from the work that we've been doing previously and one that uh, came in through the chat. The first question is very concretely looking at the instance that you brought up of um, Bellevue versus uh, Jewish Hospital. Uh, how would an investor go about it. If I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying, okay, um, Jewish Hospital will have a lower risk for for your investment based on the um, based on the hip rating. On the other hand, Bellevue really needs help. So the first question there would be, yeah, how do you uh, how do you even conceptualize that decision? Yeah, so it's, that's a great question, and this is sort of the dramatic need uh, that exists. Uh, it's very, uh, you know, it's very emotional and visceral when you see this. Um, and as we're doing additional research on Bellevue, a lot of the patients are mental health patients, so it's going to be a long-term investment to help them and really take some uh, progressive approaches uh, uh, to evolve how mental health gets delivered, because um, even. 50 or 100 years ago, you just put mental health people away in an institution with uh, very little support. So the way to conceptualize this is what is the outcome that we're shooting for? Uh, the good news is the patient satisfaction and health outcome data is regularly reported and tracked. And so we have an underlying metric system that's uh, mandated to be reported, let's say in hospitals. Uh, and this is what we try and do in all our ratings to make sure that they can be recurring so you can track progress over time possibly set a target for patient satisfaction or health outcomes or both um, for either that hospital or hospital system. Uh, it is possible for munis to be issued from a single facility or a subgroup of facilities in a healthcare system. Um, so we've seen that uh, in rating munis over the past four and a half years. 
then in approaching the issuer saying, uh, we think some capital or other expertise can help, so can we set a uh, metric to track on this, uh, and then possibly even to set a reward or penalty for uh, improvements in that, either annual improvements or total cumulative improvements, uh, and then uh, bringing an investor coalition to, to engage in that way. The muni market is so fragmented today, it's ended up becoming these large pools of money being sold through wholesalers, and uh, there's been a lack of engagement on the muni side. So pinpointing just sort of a small group of hospitals or a city on its women entrepreneurs uh, or a state on its renewable energy can package it in such a way where there's muni bonds for water authorities that group 50 water authorities together. So they're scalable in different sizes, and uh, Neighborly might be able to speak to this too, um, to help group that investor power, set an accountability metric, engage the issuer, and then, you know, within half a year or a year, that um, new issuance could come out uh, similar to, you know, what we saw with DC Water. Fantastic. Very, very helpful. And so the, uh, the real mechanism for accountability there would be more in the context of a of penalizing a future issuance, let's say, uh, rather than uh, being able to act directly on the current issuance. Well, uh, there may be some influence over the current issuance, saying, uh, but it's really in the secondary market. So, if you think that engaging today will improve cash flow with the existing issuer. Uh, and the price of that bond, uh, then uh, it could. Uh, it could be influenced today. Certainly by voting with your dollars uh, today in allocating. So it's probably more of an opportunity today to pick a highly rated uh, but possibly under-resourced, like we saw in that top left quadrant of education, that those look like they have good management discipline and that those are um, safer bonds to invest in and possibly more reliable and stronger for your portfolio. But to make this transformation from low performing to high performing, you need to ask the question, what's going to change? Either what new management or management discipline or what new accountability metric will come in. So, uh, yeah, we'd be excited to, you know, have a deeper conversation about this with, you know, groups of people who want to structure these and bring an investor coalition to help uh, both reinforce what's working today and how to make these transformational jumps from low performance to high performance. Terrific. Thank you so much, Paul. And maybe we can use the um, uh, the next question um, as part of the uh, of the neighborly presentation. And that question is: uh, How possible is it to invest in nonprofit hospitals, and what are the mechanisms to, that that one can use to to invest in them? So with that, let me uh, turn it over to um, uh, to Mary. Oh, sorry, I need to reclaim that. Yeah, I'll just jump in one more time. Muni bonds are issued by a variety of issuers. They're issued by governments. That's why we think of them as munis, but they're issued by nonprofits. And in a few cases, they're actually issued by for-profits with government cover. So any organization can issue a muni, and it's a question of whether you might get a tax advantage or not. Because uh, there are some tax, uh, whereas most meetings are tax-free, some are taxable. Over the neighborly team. Terrific. Thank you so much, Paul. Much appreciated. And for the rest of the participants, please feel free to use the chat function if you would like to, to ask questions, and then we'll present them to Mary and Rodrigo um, at the end. Mary from uh, Neighborly, thank you so much for joining us.
Wonderful. Thank you, Andrea, and uh, thank you, Paul, for your presentation. That was great. Um, let me move forward here. Uh, we are going to talk about <clears throat> impact investing in municipal bonds and uh, specifically how the CRA, the Community Reinvestment Act, uh, can be involved in that. Um, we're in the U.S. public finance space. We're highly regulated, and we have a registered broker-dealer called Neighborly Securities, which is a wholly owned subsidiary. Uh, we're not a municipal advisor, and none of what I say today should be construed as investment advice. Um, so moving on to the CRA, uh, it's a $200 billion, roughly $200 billion annually investment opportunity. Um, and the question I want to ask is, you know, is there a way to engage or leverage existing regulations and mandates uh, and help them work better to allocate capital where it's most effective? Um, so the CRA was enacted in 1977 to help repair some of the consequences of um, historical discrimination and redlining practices. Um, given the historical context of that, uh, the, the communities that they're targeting, low and moderate income communities, are basically a proxy for, for racial justice here. Um, in, in its simplest form, it requires banks to invest in those communities as part of their portfolio. They're examined approximately every two years uh, and receive one of the four ratings uh, shown on this slide based on a multi-part test. Um, you can see they are not particularly quantitative. Uh, so the first question you might ask is, why do they matter? Um, it's because a low rating uh, both has um, public relations impacts for these banks, uh, and it's also considered by regulators when they're approving activities like a bank merger or an opening of a new branch. Um, for a large bank, there's a three-part test. Uh, lending and service are two portions we're not going to be discussing at length today, but there is a 25% part of that test that focuses on their investment activities. Um, let's see. Uh, so you may ask, are municipal bonds CRA qualified? Yes, they absolutely are. The Office of the Controller of the Currency has stated explicitly in their FAQs that uh, especially projects eligible for low-income housing tax credits and um, Bonds that specifically support community development certainly are eligible to receive credit. Um, innovative projects like hospitals in lower moderate income areas um, and impact in uh, securities also would qualify. I can't advance this. There we go. Uh, ba -ba -ba. So uh, the, the, another component of this um, Act is that it suggests that the banks need to examine the performance context of the communities in which they operate. Um, in order to do this really fully, um, you need to have a lot of information about those communities. Um, and I think part of the reason this act hasn't fun functioned as intended is that this is actually really hard information to find. Um, and it's even harder to standardize and evaluate, as Paul mentioned. Um, this is a problem we also face as impact investors. Um, and so a question might ask, we might ask is how do we help banks um, access this data and actually use it to transform this funding stream uh, into one that actually has impact on their communities. Um, like I said, they are at the present moment basically ticking the boxes with the minimum level of effort required to meet these obligations. Uh, the CRA itself as written encourages innovative investments and provides uh, greater credit or greater weighting to those investments. Um, for example, uh, Goldman Sachs has received already CRA investment credit for an impact bond that they issued, uh, and Morgan Stanley received credit for a pretty innovative program that linked um, local health centers to affordable housing. Um, 
the idea here is that there's two complementary approaches that we can take to help this law serve its actual purpose. Um, one is to work with advocacy organizations in our communities to influence the structure of projects and, um, and bond funding so that it's obvious that they fit CRA requirements. Um, and then second is to create a network of investors who are interested in holding these bonds, A, because of their positive impact, and B, because of the additional demand for them to produce additional returns. So if they to invest in this and we have a source of, of CRA-eligible investments, uh, we may catch a bid for those that um, would service us as investors and also help uh, reduce the, the cost of funding these projects. Um, so I'll talk a little bit more about how to get banks comfortable with um, stepping out on the, uh, the more meaningful investment curve. Um, but for now, let's take a simple example of how this works in the wild. Um, in the state of California, for example, there are uh, a number of banks that are evaluated under the CRA. I have here for you everyone that has a market share over 1% in the state. Um, that's uh, so so they, these banks are evaluated on the areas that they serve, and it's the concept of an assessment area. Now, that can be very large. Um, for instance, L.A. County, uh, which includes both uh, very poor and underserved neighborhoods and some huge pockets of privilege. Um, so when you're saying, you know, this bank made an investment in L.A. County, that could be either meaningful or um, totally useless in terms of its impact. Um, and so for that purpose, there's the, this concept in the CRA of what they call a distress or underserved non-metropolitan middle-income geography. Um, these are more homogeneous rural areas. And so for the sake of simplicity for this example, let's take a look at what those are in the state of California. Um, so for banks in those communities, you can see that the, the largest banks change somewhat. Um, I mentioned that uh, bank exams take place every two years on average. And as it turns out, Scott Valley Bank listed here has an exam uh, scheduled for the first quarter of 2017. Um, so let's pretend that we are Scott Valley Bank. Uh, we can go onto the CRA website and see what our pre previous ratings are. You'll see it's being evaluated under the intermediate small institution exam, which is slightly different in terms of weighting from the large bank exam, but also includes an investment component. Uh, so we as Scott Valley Bank currently have a satisfactory rating, but we're planning, let's say, to acquire a competitor later this year. We want to make sure that we get approval, uh, so we were looking to improve our rating to outstanding. And um, if we were to go into the municipal market, uh, I'm looking at a data set from the California Debt and Investment Advisory Commission uh, spanning the decade from uh, 2006 to 2016. Um, it covers a total of 19,000 issues, uh, about 16,000 which are short-term. Um, and so if you were a bank officer looking to do the least effort possible to meet your obligations in this area, you would go in and filter um, these issuances to see, okay, well, how many in that decade have been issued in these selected counties? Uh, you see it's 71. That's because we selected these specifically because they're rural and uh, not large issuers so that we can make the point, which is that um, there's really in those 71 issuances only one that is, at first glance, a clear match for a CRA-eligible investment. Uh, and I perform these filters with a very conservative bias, looking basically for redevelopment agencies, uh, which are often builders of, of low-income multifamily housing. Um, and so in that time, the, the one that looks like a fit is uh, actually issued by a redevelopment agency in Mendocino County. Uh, and the total size of it is $4.5 $4 million. Um, 
So that's pretty tough. Uh, we still don't know for certain if it is, in fact, CRA qualified. Uh, we need to look into the actual documents uh, to find out. Um, and I'll pause here to say, you know, when we, um, when we were doing these filters, I was filtering uh, on purpose among other, other uh, fields. And there's a lot of stuff that, that looks like multiple capital improvements or public works in terms of the purpose of a bond. And Paul touched on this earlier. There's many municipal projects bundle specific activities uh, across a region into one issuance because the, the uh, friction that these issuers experience when they come to market is such that they want to issue uh, the largest size possible when they're doing it to fund all the projects that they have to fund. Um, so it may very well be that in those multi-purpose bonds, there are several uh, projects of great interest to impact investors that because they're bundled up can't be accessed uh, and used for these purposes. So one, one thing to focus on is, is unbundling municipal bonds where possible. And part of that is democratizing access for issuers and uh, investors in this market. Um, so I mentioned we had to go into the documents. Uh, this is the offering document of that bond in particular, and we see here that it is targeted at folks whose adjusted income is less than 50% of the median income for the area. Um, fortunately, that maps exactly to the requirements for the CRA, which defines low income as less than 50% of the median, and moderate income as between 50 and 80%. Um, there are many cases in which a state financing authority may uh, target a different cut point for what they consider lower moderate income communities. Um, that's a huge problem, right? We need to make these standardized. Uh, we need to make them fit the CRA parameters where possible. And then once we've done it, we need to communicate it um, so that banks and others can access this information quickly, understand that this is an investable opportunity, um, and then and invest. Um, it's very possible that there are significantly more opportunities out there uh, in this space and in other parts of California uh, with community development financial institutions, hospitals, uh, social impact bonds, as I mentioned, um, that just need to be specified as CRA eligible and, uh, and highlighted as so. Um, so to step back for a second, what do, uh, what do CRA opportunities look like in the state of California as a whole? Again, using a very conservative filter on this, uh, this is just the year 2016. There were slightly under 3,000 issuances representing a total of $76 billion in public funds. Um, and looking again just at housing, uh, not all of which is CRA eligible, but it's a good proxy for the size of that market as currently defined. Uh, you see it's about 6% of total issuance on that year, uh, or about $4.8 million. Um, if we, again, staying with our conservative bias, look at only redevelopment agencies in that decade period, uh, that have specifically denoted housing only as the purpose of their issuance. Uh, we have 112 issuances uh, representing 74 different entities uh, during that time. Uh, and what I've plotted here, and I apologize for the illegibility of this, this plot, is um, the relationship between the average issuance size and the average cost of issuance for these, for these issuers. Um, and you can see a general trend that smaller deals might cost more, which you might expect there require more um, special treatment and probably are issued by less sophisticated entities. But there's a lot of variability around this, which to me suggests that there's room for improving outcomes here in terms of cost of issuance. Um, and one way would be making sure that these deals find their target market. So if they are CRA eligible, making that public and, and easily accessible knowledge. Um, so how might we do this? Uh, one path that the Kansas City Fed has provided is this uh, very innovative program that allows 
banks and community agencies to jointly vet a proposed deal in advance of this issuance uh, in order to make sure that it will receive investment credit. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more, Mary, about that the program and the role that the community would play in that? Yes. Um, so it would be that a, a community who identified a need would be um, find a find a bank that needs to invest in that community. So let's say they needed more um, hospitals in that area that targeted uh, folks who were on Medicaid or Medicare. Um, and so they would say, okay, well, here's a proposed site. You know, can we do this program in an innovative way, maybe with um, paper performance, maybe with, you know, some nonprofit support, um, and, and build this issuance that you would be comfortable underwriting uh, and then possibly banks investing in, um, and then get that, bring that to the Kansas City Fed in advance and, and make sure that that would receive credit, right? So it, it removes the bank's fear that, you know, by stepping out on the, on the curve here that they may, uh, you know, miss the boat of getting CRA investment credit. Um, so the Kansas City Fed does it in their service area. Um, you can reach out to them to get information about whether an investment might be approved in other areas, but obviously they can't be the definitive word there. Um, so to revisit action items here, um, we would like to encourage more banks to run programs like this. If you're going to have a regulatory uh, requirement, it should be easy to understand. And when it's not, uh, I think that the role these these institutions can serve in, in clearing banks to move forward with their investments is huge. Uh, like I said, pilot innovative municipal financing that meet uh, the CRA requirements, share these positive outcomes widely. Um, one organization doing this already in, in California is the California Reinvestment Coalition, which is partnering uh, to make uh, transformative investments in our communities. Uh, the next thing is to create uh, metrics that correspond to CRA categories, so making sure that these map directly wherever possible, and as impact investors advocating that they be disclosed as often as possible when they invest, um, and to join Neighborly's public finance data community uh, where we are moving forward and trying to capture these data points um, and also helping issuers uh, create innovative issuances. Um, so with that, I'm going to hand it over to Rodrigo, who's our Chief Product Officer, to talk more about uh, the community and our products at Neighborly. Great. Uh, th thanks so much, Mary. Um, Andrea, are you able to hand over a slide control to me, please? Yes, it's coming Perfect. your way. Thank you. Yeah, so um, as Mary said, there, uh, you know, the sort of aggregation collection access to this data is a really key challenge here. Um, and we're building an open source data platform for public finance um, and a community around that. And how we're doing that is, is essentially trying to uh, develop open, transparent data standards um, that everybody can access and contribute to. So we've collaborated with organizations like OpenGov, uh, CDAC in, in the California State Treasurer's Office, and also ingested um, uh, many, many data sets from uh, at national, state, and local level um, in order to sort of create a platform where folks can access data about municipal finance um, in a structured way um, that, that really helps them in their workflows. And in its sort of simplest form, um, this takes the form on Neighborly of a profile page for an issuer with a range of relevant metrics, um, and then a page for each individual issuance. Um, so it's a very, very large kind of web of information. And the collection of that data is pretty complex. Uh, of course, there's a lot of dependencies, a lot of updating to do, and a lot of infrastructure. 
Um, but we believe putting in that groundwork is absolutely key um, to, to unlocking this market and make it more useful. Um, and then, of course, once you've built that foundation, on top of it, there's potential to build all kinds of comparison analysis tools, uh, things to help you match to mandates, uh, do spread com comparisons, etc. Uh, if any of that stuff sounds exciting to you, um, do reach out to Mary or, or me. Um, we'd be very happy to chat um, on that. Uh, but the data is also just one, one sort of step here um, and one part of our mission. Uh, as Mary mentioned, we are a registered broker-dealer. A key part of our mission is um, unlocking access to munis um, for everybody. Um, and we really do mean everybody. Uh, the, the sort of capital network that we've put together runs the gamut from individuals down the street um, all the way up to large global institutions and everything in between. And what we've heard uh, universally from um, these folks is that they want uh, you know, the flow of information, the flow of capital and public finance to go a lot faster and with much, much greater transparency. Um, and there's a huge opportunity here, uh, and we see that already from the folks who've come into Navally. Um, we haven't sort of marketed um, this aspect um, of our business very much at all up to this point. This is all really just organic interest of folks who've, who've heard about us. So when we really start uh, doing uh, more structured outreach, uh, we, we expect these numbers to, to grow um, a, a lot, lot more. So. Um, so with that in mind, with a, a really uh, huge potential and an interesting data foundation, um, how do we tell the story of these potential investments uh, in this data-rich future? Well, this is an example um, of uh, a potential project, not a real one uh, in this case, um, around green bonds um, in the city of Palo Alto. And what we're doing here is essentially taking uh, the types of information uh, that you might find uh, scattered in many different sources, offering documents, third-party sources, uh, cities' websites, etc., and bringing that all together and saying to the investor, hey, here is the complete story of a green bond. Here's the data that helps you to uh, feel like this investment um, uh, has not just been labeled green as a kind of a marketing slogan, but there's actually, as Paul put it, some teeth behind this. Um, and being able to link to metrics and to data points is, is obviously really key here as we build for the future. And for folks who do have um, existing mandates uh, or who are developing mandates, uh, we also need uh, uh, ways to access the sort of impact data um, that are structured um, and can be matched to mandates. And here's an example of how we visualized uh, HIPS uh, impact rating score alongside traditional ratings to create a, a kind of a pentagram um, of an investment uh, impact investment policy. And you see uh, next to it, to the right, those are the metrics that are sort of backing this. This is really just one example of how we can get very creative in our product in supporting many different types of mandates, allow folks to, uh, to share their mandates, uh, match to real data, to real opportunities. So we think the potential here is really massive. So that's a little bit about us, um, very briefly. Very happy to continue the conversation with you. Um, this is obviously a very active R&D area for us. So we're always excited to have conversations to help you 
isolate the critical use cases you have um, for these tools that we're building and, and figure out ways to, to work together. Um, on the slide, just a couple of folks who have backed us in the past. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, let's kick it off with some questions. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Rodrigo. And uh, as uh, he hinted, please um, uh, feel free to send in questions through the chat. That is the best way of uh, doing it. Uh, or you can also raise your hand uh, through the webinar function. Um, one thing to, to kick this off, um, both back to you and to Mary. Mary, I will unmute you for that. Um, this issue of the information being hard to find and being hard to systematize, uh, what, are, uh, what has been the general appetite on getting more information? Where are some of the main pain points that you're seeing there? Uh, Mary, um, do you want to speak to that? Yeah, yeah I will. I think, um, you know, in municipal bonds, uh, the sort of source of truth for every question is the offering document itself, uh, which is great if you want to do this on a one-off basis. You can go in there and find almost everything that you would ever want to know about a project and its meaning, uh, you know, whether or not uh, those funds actually go to the stated purposes, something that may need to be audited along the way. But in terms of what is it designated for and who is it serving, very easy to know by reading that document. Unfortunately, these things are, you know, multi, you know, up to 120 page PDFs um, and to analyze that in any systematic way is, is pretty difficult. Um, so one sort of next level future thing would be to have these documents be, you know, coded in XBRL or um, done in some sort of standard template or format that allows uh, users to query their purpose and use of funds uh, a lot more easily than going through manually uh, each document. Great, thank you. And um, one more question. One thing that had uh, excited me about your work is really this idea of um, democratizing access for individual investors that are interested in uh, providing capital within, uh, within their communities. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that landscape looks like if I, as an individual, want to invest in a specific muni bond for, uh, for my town uh, versus what would be possible within the neighborly platform? Yeah, sure. So um, this year um, we're piloting with uh, seven uh, issuers uh, so far that we've announced um, where you'll be able to come onto the neighborly platform um, and invest in bonds, uh, in most cases at a $1,000 denomination, um, which is much below the sort of 5,000 conventional denom in the market. Um, and essentially what we're, we're doing there is, is uh, partnering with issuers um, to help them uh, standardize the whole process from front to back. So make offering documents that are easier to read, um, have a central place where um, any uh, community member can, can show up, um, get a brokerage account very easily um, in a short period of time, and then be able to make uh, the investment online without ever needing to leave their, uh, leave their computer. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's kind of our starting point. Um, the one challenge with, uh, with sort of the issuances that are out in the market is that they're often uh, bundled in ways that use of proceeds isn't necessarily uh, that clear. Um, and they, they may carry a $5,000 denomination, which 
is great for some investors, but it doesn't deliver the level of access that we think needs to exist. Uh, so that's why we're really focusing on uh, with the deals that we are so senior manager on, showing a model for how this can work differently. Fantastic, thank you. So let me uh, try and unmute all. Please be mindful of that in case you're singing in the background while, while listening. Uh, and if you have a question and you are unmuted, feel free to <coughs> chime in and then I will re-mute everyone. Okay, you're unmuted on my end and you might want to unmute yourselves if you um, if you're muted. Okay, looked like it was more uh, background noise perhaps than, uh, uh, than questions. In that case, let me open it up again to, um, to Paul if, uh, if you had any, um, any final comments, anything that you'd like to, uh, to wrap on based on what Mary and Rodrigo presented. And thank you again so much, Rodrigo and Mary, for presenting the work of Neighborly and your analysis of the CRA opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, this is Paul. Um, uh, I mean, what I find what we find really inspiring about Neighborly is, uh, as, as Mary alluded to, sort of unpacking this issuance document called the QSIP that is a lot of financial and contractual legal language, and very rarely is it focused on. Uh, and obviously, it says what the use of funds is, which is sometimes pooled and ambiguous. And really helping bring some clarity, transparency, and standardization to it, um, so you can understand what you're doing and what is uh, powerful. And if you do want to see what a good QSIP looks like, uh, you should definitely check out the DC Water Environmental Impact Fund, because it almost is kind of like an annual report, but it's also a plan for what they're going to do. And that's like one of the best. And uh, but. Uh, but you know, looking like a pooled fund, uh, that's you know, sort of one of the most confusing. Um, so what I think Neighborly brings is this ability, you saw you know, 11,000 uh, members, is for individual investors to invest $1,000 and maybe even $500 in their bond to really community engagement. So when we were talking earlier, like, what do we do about Bellevue um, Health Center? Uh, it could be that patients uh, maybe invest uh, and families invest in that. It could be the community with located invest in it. From a green power or clean power, the community can help fund uh, possibly through mini bonds uh, its own improvements. And so we not only can bring the metrics and accountability that we talked about in the first part of this conversation with the HIP rating on 26,000 munis or even 6,000 corporates with this uh, citizen engagement system and really this power to vote with your money and to generate both because uh, munis have interest yield uh, both income and impact. Uh, and if everybody's doing their job right on fundamental credit analysis, like 
um, the fund managers, and so we have an increasing number of fixed income managers that are doing uh, impactful munis. Um, uh, and we helped create one of the first uh, muni funds with FNW, uh, is uh, to really vote with your money, seek income and impact, and if we can all build a coalition together, we can actually get uh, issuers to be more accountable to their mission, which is what they should be doing in the first place. So capital markets really provides this lever for accountability, especially as you know, we worry about the trustworthiness and competence in our institutions. So that's what I think is really exciting in trying to achieve social justice and uh, ethnic uh, 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 excellence uh, and overall environmental justice as well is what you've heard today are tools uh, like ratings and platforms to bring uh, focus, clarity, and accountability, and that if we vote with our money, the institute and uh, institution should follow. And uh, if we proactively vote with our money, we can actually um, uh, catapult people in the 21st century and help to self-actualize as Maslow envisioned. Great, thank you, Paul. And um, um, of course, not surprisingly, it lines up, lines up very well with a lot of the work that the investor network, the Transform Finance Investor Network, has been doing on uh, two of the pieces. One is this notion of uh, around what can we organize asset owners, right? What are the opportunities to engage in uh, in deeper ways? And uh, secondly, as, uh, uh, as Paul just mentioned, picking up on Mary's earlier comments, uh, really this idea of deepening the community's engagement, both the, the voice and the governance role that can be played over the way in which capital flows in and out of, uh, in and out of communities. So while things can be a little bit wonky and perhaps uh, drier than most of the social enterprise stuff that people associate with impact investing, it seems like some uh, terrific opportunities to really drive some of that impact. Um, if there are no other questions, um, here is a slide with uh, with the information, both for Paul at Hip Investors and uh, for Mary and Rodrigo at Neighborly. I'm sure they would love to hear from you, or you should feel free to reach out to me as well, uh, Andrea at transformfinance.org and uh, I'd be happy to put you in touch or otherwise see how we can take a more active role in, um, in this space. And uh, lastly, if you are interested in uh, our activities overall as Transform Finance Investor Network or if you are an investor that is interested in joining our community, also please feel free to reach out to me. My email is there um, and I can be found at andrea at transformfinance.org. and for all the fantastic work that you all are doing at, uh, at HIP Investor and at Neighborly. We're really delighted that you could be with us. Thanks very much. Excited to Thank you, help transform capital market. Let's do it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. The meeting is now over. <laughs>